This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, We missed you last week, but Deb filled in really, really well. She is a blast to talk to on here. So we didn't miss you too much, but it is good to have (laughs) you back today. That's great to hear. Deb's been an awesome addition to the team. Absolutely. Uh, we have a couple things to talk about today. We'll keep it kind of short, uh, but we do have some some bigger uh, news topics to talk about. I think the first thing that we should probably mention, uh, nothing has changed in the COVID-19 numbers as far as I know from the last time we reported, uh, but we did talk a little bit last week about a community testing site that was going to be available this week, and that is available today, June 3rd, and tomorrow, June 4th, in Sturgeon Bay at the Door County Justice Center from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. So that is available to the public. I believe you have to be presenting symptoms, uh, but other than that, it is available for you to go and get a COVID-19 test. Yeah, and um, like you said, if, you, if you're presenting kind of any one of the symptoms in that, that laundry list that's out there, you go ahead and get tested. And what they're trying to do is pump up those testing numbers and test a large enough section of the population to really see what the, the spread is. So unlike it, and, and some people might ask like, all right, why, what is this different than what the hospital has been doing all along? And that is that this is like a, a short-term surge to just try and get a lot of low-hanging fruit testing done. And, you know, like some people have said like, what, what's, what's the point of more testing if, if they're asymptomatic or, or what if all these people test negative? The main thing is like, you want to see and get enough of a number there that you can say like, all right, in Door County, we've tested 2000 people now. And out of 27,000, and here's what the positive rate is. You can really start to collect some data and see what you're up against. Right. So uh, that site is available, like I said, today and tomorrow until 7 p.m. So if you are concerned at all, if you have any symptoms that are related to COVID-19 and you want to get tested, uh, it would be a, probably a good idea to head down to Sturgeon Bay and do that. Uh, do you have anything else on COVID-19 before we move on, Miles? Uh, just a little bit about um, Monday night, um, catching up with... Sue Powers, the public health manager, and Dr. Jim Heist, the chief medical officer at Door County Medical Center. They did their weekly um, Facebook Live session. They did say that moving forward, they're going to, you know, a lot of the information that needs to get out there has gotten out there. So unless something comes up, they're going to move that to an every other week schedule for the time being. Um, I'm sure that would change if suddenly you had a rash of cases reported in the county. Um you know, from the folks I talked to, everyone's just kind of waiting to a few more days and see if we see anything, um, any numbers bump up because of the reopening and Memorial Day weekend, things like that. But we're probably a few days away from knowing that. There were a couple of interesting things that they said in Monday's Facebook Live. One is antibody testing, which is different than the COVID-19 test. Antibody testing is a test of your blood to see if you have developed the antibodies that would show that maybe you did have COVID-19 at some time. Um, Door County Medical Center said they have performed 57 of those tests. And of those 57, one has come back positive. So they haven't seen a lot of that. There's also an interesting, and those antibody tests, if you test positive for the antibodies, your numbers don't go into the COVID-19 test results. There's a, there's, some good reasons that they keep those separate that 
I'm not smart enough to detail for people right <laughs> now, but um, maybe I'll try to do that in the future. But they don't want to lump those two together, um, just trying to keep those numbers clean. Some states have gotten in some hairy situations with their numbers because they suddenly dump a bunch of those antibody tests into those um, COVID-19 test numbers. Um, right. And then also about where tests, positive tests are reported. So there's been this question lingering around like, well, what if somebody's from out of town, somebody from Green Bay comes to Door County, they test positive for COVID-19, does that count in Door County's numbers? And they did clarify Monday night that no, those do not count in Door County. So if a visitor or a seasonal resident, say from Chicago or Madison or Milwaukee, comes up to Door County and maybe they have a seasonal home here, but they claim their permanent residence somewhere else, they test positive, that does not count in the Door County number of cases. Right. That counts where they're from. And Dr. Heisen, um, Sue Powers said that to date, there's that they know of, there's only three such cases like that where somebody has tested positive in a Door County facility, but it didn't count in our numbers. Now, on the flip side, that doesn't tell you if somebody went home, tested positive in Chicago and had been to Door County like that, that we still don't know unless some contact tracing um, evidence that. But um, so I, I just thought those kind of things were informative because I know a lot of people have asked me those very questions. So just good to get that information out there. Right. And it's a good distinction to make, too, because some people were asking if numbers were going to be inflated by visitors this season, but that's not the case. If Correct. you come up on vacation and you get sick and you get a test at the hospital here, those numbers do not report on Door County. So visitors will not be inflating the number of positive tests. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you for the update on COVID-19. I know it's kind of hard to remember that we are in the midst of a pandemic right now with everything else that is going on, uh, but we are still dealing with COVID-19 and we will be for the rest of the year. So it's a good thing to kind of to kind of keep in the back of our minds as we move forward. It's, it's really weird for you to say, keep that in the back of our minds. Like <laughs> so well, this week, this week has gotten so crazy that yes, the uh, uh, global pandemic that we've been talking about nonstop for three months is now in the back of our minds. Right. So uh, let's get into let's get into talking about that. So over the last seven days, 10 days, uh, the nation has been gripped by protests. Uh, there have been protests in all 50 states uh, protesting for police reform following the death of George Floyd last week in Minneapolis. Uh, this is a story that hits me really close to home. Uh, it always does when Minneapolis comes up in the news for police brutality or young black men being killed by police because I'm from Minneapolis. So I have personally been following this story really closely. I'm sure pretty much everybody else is too, just because of how widespread the protesting has been. Uh, but why don't we talk about it a little bit with how it relates to kind of the local level as well. Um, there have been a couple of demonstrations in Door County, up in Sister Bay and Sturgeon Bay this week. So uh, we've, we've got people protesting and showing support even all the way up here on the peninsula. I'm kind of curious, what was your being from Minneapolis, but not even from Minneapolis, I guess just as a human, like when you watch the video of George Floyd's killing, um, what went through your mind? Well, it's the same thing that happens whenever this comes up. And the Black Lives Matter really started to come about when I was still in college. So right in the center of Minneapolis is when all of this started to happen. So again, it really did affect me pretty closely. Um, I went to a very diverse school in Minneapolis. So I had a lot of friends who were hurting really badly by this. And I, I tried to do my best to be an ally at that time. Back in the day, I feel like the conversation 
whenever you had the the two points or like the the two parts of the conversation, uh, you'd have like the Black Lives Matter side and then the other side saying things like, well, the person shouldn't have broken the law or shouldn't have gone for the gun or all of that type of stuff. But in so many of these videos that get released showing police killing young black men, there, there are so many of them where you can't argue the other side like like there's no point in even doing it especially with this one and and anytime that people try to argue like well he you know he presented a a counterfeit bill or he broke the law it's like yeah but that doesn't mean that he should have died in the street that day right so that that was my my first reaction is like this this stuff is so in your face like it's so clearly wrong that i i just can't i can't imagine there being two sides to it anymore so to see the entire country gripped by protests has been has been really it, it's been great to see from that perspective in that the the voices that are calling for reform aren't being silenced in the same way that they were before that this isn't just passing news that this is something that people are continuing to talk about and are continuing to push for in a bigger way than they have in decades so that that would be my response to this one just in in watching the video and seeing how things have gone over the last week um, so when I saw that video, I mean, my first thought is kind of like as a reporter is like, okay, let's see the full context. And so I start searching for other videos and to see like, well, okay, what's the report of what was going on before this? Like my knee jerk is, all right, that looks horrible. This, this officer is out of line. And then you go, all right, but before I really think that, like you have to consider what the situation was, what happened before that was this person doing things that would make them seem like a threat. I mean, maybe they had a guy down and he fought out of it. So they're like, all right, we can't let this guy up because he's, he's got out of our control before. And then you watch the videos and there's none of that. There's no excuses. I mean, there's not the surveillance videos that came in from surrounding shops. Don't show anything like that. So you're like, all right, this is absolutely <laughs> inexcusable. Um, and there's, that's not to say that like a lot of these other ones were excusable, but this one is like, there's no gray area. And when I talked to law enforcement officials, talked to Matt Josky, the sheriff in Kewanee County, Arlie Porter, the police chief in Sturgeon Bay. I talked to Joel Kitchens, the representative. Uh, I tried to reach Tammy Sternard at the Door County Sheriff's Department, did not receive a response. All the those people that I did talk to, like there's no equivocating. They just, this is disgusting. This is nothing that you would have ever been trained to do. Um, that the other cops around that situation should have, there should be a culture where they feel strong enough to say, hey, this isn't right. Like, it's it's crazy, but like, we don't see any of this if that guy simply lifts his knee for a few moments and lets the guy breathe. Like a very simple thing to do in the course of, there. and there's none of that like, okay, this was a split second decision. This is nine minutes of deliberately deciding I'm going to continue to give this guy no quarter and just choke him right. <laughs> to death. Um, so it's, all aspects of it are just appalling. And everyone I talked to in law enforcement had the same response. Um, the, the sad part is like the, the protests that have happened and you have to eliminate, you can't talk about police brutality and the protests almost like you have to separate them like you, and you have to make sure the focus of like, all right, why do we have these protests? Why do we have the violence? Are we covering the violence and the protests and the fires or are we covering the root cause of all of that? And that goes back to that incident. And and sometimes when you have all the violence, you, people stop talking about like, wait, this is the thing that caused all this. It's not the it's not the people protesting that caused all this. The root cause is that people are oppressed and don't feel safe and have been and felt threatened by and treated differently by police officers for a long, long time. 
Right. And there needs to be a separation between how we talk about the protests that are going on in all 50 states and the riots that have happened in some states. Right. They're not the same thing. The riots are not a part of the protesting. They are they are separate issues and they are caused by separate actors. Right. You have the majority of you have the majority of protests being peaceful across the country. And then you have isolated incidents of bad actors uh, creating the the damage to property, the fires, that kind of stuff. But you can't talk about them as if they are the same thing because they're not, right? Right. That's where it gets kind of dicey. And that's where the more you focus on the the destruction of property and the rioting, the more you start to forget about the demonstrations across the country and the even further you get from what you just said, what this is about. And it's about police reform and justice for the death of George Floyd. Um, I had talked to somebody the other day who had told me that they didn't understand why the protests were happening because it's clear that the officer was in the wrong. And whenever this happens, they had assumed that because the videos come out and show the officers uh, behaving badly and, you know, doing this stuff that they would be punished and prosecuted. And I had to explain to him that the protests are happening because that almost never happens. The, the police are almost never prosecuted. Uh, they never serve jail time. And in many situations, uh, they're not even disciplined uh, or let go from the police force. So like once that realization hit was like, oh, wait a minute, all of these cases that I've heard about over the last 10 years and beyond, there hasn't been justice for nearly enough of them. Now I guess I understand why this is happening, because it's not just one event that happened in Minneapolis last week. It's decades and decades of this going on with no justice. And even the fact that the the officer, um, Chauvin, has been arrested and charged with murder, but that doesn't mean he's getting convicted. And it doesn't mean it's not going to get overturned. It do, right. I'm like, I, I'm not even 50% confident that these officers won't be reinstated um, at this point. I mean, police unions are incredibly strong. Um, I believe the report that I read yesterday was something like 47% are just over of disciplinary actions are overturned on appeal. Um, the, you know, the Rodney King assault didn't result in change and convictions. Like so many of these instances don't. The, um, there's just, it's, and, and recently, we, we've seen this with um, the jogger who was murdered. If the video had not come out, those people would have never been charged. Right. And when I've talked to the law enforcement official that I talked to and others I've talked to have said, like, you know, this just now we have video of all those things. What was happening before? How many instances in the past did we not have video? So we never even questioned it. And so right. many times when you see the video in these controversial cases come out, the video does not match the police report. So... Even when they're caught on tape, the police reports are still trying to lie, <laughs> still putting down a, a false version of events in many, many cases. I'm not saying all, and I don't want to be like cop bashing here, um, but there's just, as as Matt um, Josky down in Kiwani County said, like watching that, you can tell that there is not a culture of accountability in that police department because otherwise one of those four should have spoke up. Right. And, and done something to save George Floyd's life because they know that there were three, four cameras pointed at them while this is going on. Um, right. And yet they still don't think they're going to be held accountable for that. Like that's that's startling to me that you can see a guy choking and just like uh, assume that you're that there's not going to be punishment. So we're just going to keep going with this. That's right. pretty wild to me. Uh, the jogger who was murdered last month, uh, his name was Ahmad Aubrey. I think that we should mention that as well. Yes. Um, Miles, who have you been talking to about this locally over the last week? 
I mean, I, I did stop down by the protest the other day, talk to some of the folks down on the scene there in, in, in Sister Bay. And they, you know, the first day was about 15 people. When I was there, people driving by were largely in support of them. A few thumbs down, a few staunch glares. Um, police officers stopped by to say, like, I agree with what you're doing. Uh, please keep it peaceful, um, that kind of thing. Um, the next day, it was, there were 70 people there. I have not checked to see what they had today. They said they're going to continue to protest. Um, uh, what they're doing is chanting, holding signs. Um, they're not shutting down businesses or anything like that in Sister Bay. Um, but basically to say that, like, hey, even though we're in our bubble in Door County, we may not be seeing this, but what this and this is what these protesters told me. Um, we may not be seeing it in front of our faces here, but we need to show support for the people who are. And it's mostly a young crowd. Um but it is, there's also some older people. Lynn Brunson had a great quote. He goes, this, we're protesting this, sadly, we're protesting the same thing I was protesting in the 60s. Um, right. But, you know, there's just a, I, I saw my social feed yesterday on Instagram and Facebook was a lot of blacked out images. People blacking out their profiles for Blackout Tuesday to support the Black Lives Matter movement. One of, you know, it's, it's, it feels so weird to talk about this sitting in our bubble up here, right? Um, right. In Indoor County, not seeing the violence, not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm about as white and average as you can be, you know, <laughs> but that's what startles me. Like I've, I've been interrogated by cops before. I've been fingerprinted. I've, <laughs> uh, I've had some minor incidents that I've been involved with. And then also I've been in an incident, like I, I picture myself if, if I'm, fits me in that hoodie in the same spot as Trayvon Martin, I'm still alive. That's not a cop involved shooting, but that's another instance like this. If And I, I think if I'm George Floyd doing the exact same thing, I don't end up in that same position, even if I'm acting right. the same way. You know, like you have such, and this is not like white shaming. It, to, to be introspective and reflective of your own experience and recognize that you have some advantages, that's not like hating white people or hating America or, or self-hatred. That's just, I don't know, just being honest with yourself yeah. and um, recognizing that you have advantages that other people don't. And what I see from the people I talked to at the protests was people who recognize that and are trying to use that to some advantage and at, at the very least to show some support. Right. Um, well, and two things that I want to, you know, respond to that you just said, the, the fact that we are up here in this bubble kind of away from stuff, it makes these demonstrations in Sister Bay and in Sturgeon Bay even more important, right? Because how easy would it be to just disassociate yourself and go outside to the park and try to forget that any of this is happening up here when we have the resources and the businesses that we do, right? So having that reminder, like for the folks who, you know, weren't paying attention or were trying not to think about it or trying to push it into the background, driving to, through Sister Bay the other day, they were reminded that this is real and they were reminded about it in a place where they probably weren't trying to think about it. And I think that that's powerful, right? It's powerful that it's, it's being top of mind for everybody right now. Yep. And then, and then I, I agree with that. I think the, and this is something I asked, I asked the protesters like, all right, so have you contacted your legislatures? Have you contacted the local police department? Have you, have you voiced your grievances anywhere? And they said, no, we're just getting started and maybe that will change. But that is one thing. Like these are not faces that I see at the meetings that I go to. <laughs> these are not faces that I see at local municipal meetings, um, at these public forums. And that's where the action happens. If you look at, um, DeRay McKesson, who has led a lot of the, the Black Lives Matter protests early on, he's turned it into 
political action. He has proposed a set of eight measures to uh, that should be adopted by police forces that would not, it, at, at least what he says and what studies seem to show and data seems to show, is that they would not limit the effectiveness of police forces, but would drastically reduce the need for brutality or instances when police do have to use um, brutal tactics <laughs> in communities. So right. that's what the next question is. So that's where I went to the local departments and Joel Kitchens. I asked Joel if he'd seen any legislation or would be in favor of any legislation. He said that he does not know of any that he's seen and he doesn't know if it's a legislative fix or a cultural fix. I would say that that's that there are there. Lena Taylor out of Milwaukee did propose a, a series of measures to combat police brutality back in 2017. It didn't get an airing um, on the on the House floor in the state of Wisconsin. And to the in fact, that when I asked Joel Kitchen about it, he said he wasn't didn't really remember it very well. So it did not get a serious consideration at that time. Um, when Colin Kaepernick has been protesting for years, instead of talking about the root cause of what he was protesting by taking a knee, we talked about whether or not he was protesting correctly. And again, sure. t- today we're talking about whether or not these protesters are doing it correctly rather than, well, what's the root cause and how do we change that? And um, then the question becomes, what is the correct way to protest? And is it just the way that is the easiest for you to ignore? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, that's what it comes down to. If you're telling people that they're not protesting correctly, you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to get rid of the, it, it on your feed. You don't want to look at it anymore. Like, that's where, it, that's where it comes from. I don't think anybody is like, this isn't the right way to protest. Here is the right way to, pro- to protest because they just, they don't have that answer. And, and let's go back. Like, people praise Martin Luther King now, even white America praises him now, 70 some percent of white Americans hated Martin Luther King until he was shot and killed. Um, They did not approve of the way he was protesting. Like, even though now we look back and we, he's held up at the bastion of peaceful protests, like that affected change because they did their peaceful protests, but then the cops still attacked them. (laughs) And that is what finally woke up America. And that, you know, if, if all these peaceful protests happen and they're not violent, like, the rage that's coming out has just been pent up for a long, long time. Um, and then some of the violence and destruction that's coming out is opportunist. It's a lot of, you know, honestly, you still watch a lot of these videos. It's a lot of white kids from the burbs. You watch other videos, it's, you're, they're going to trace it back to some overt police action as well. I mean, you're seeing people getting dragged out of crowds for talking. That's not what you're supposed to get dragged out of crowds for and arrested for. Um, the, the pictures from Seattle yesterday were appalling. The tear gassing in front of the White House was appalling right. just just for a photo op. There's instance after instance. There are a lot of there are a lot of police officers who have acquitted themselves very well. Uh, the Green Bay police chief um, marching with officers. The Flint police chief saying, "Hey, I agree with you. This has got to stop. This has got to change." Um, they have done. There have been some great instances, and there's some been some very very poor instances where you can tell that there is some very bad cultures, and it's not a national solution. And from everything I'm I'm reading and hearing and, and listening to. You know, most of this is stuff that has to be addressed by the individual municipality level in terms of how they run their police departments and the culture they create um, versus, and it sounds like in Minneapolis, it's a it's a very bad culture. Um, right. One of the things that protect, protects these officers and stops change, though, interestingly enough, it's unions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I generally would side with unions. I side with um, people who fight for workers versus corporations. <laughs> uh, but the... You know, in, in 2010, before you moved to Wisconsin, uh, Governor Walker instituted Wisconsin Act 10 to limit public sector unions from collectively bargaining for a lot of different purposes. It basically decimated many public sector unions, just uh, crushed 
union membership in Wisconsin and crush their ability to bargain um, and protect. And one of the good things even I would agree with is like, we don't want to protect bad teachers and unions sometimes can protect bad actors and bad teachers and bad employees. Wisconsin Act 10 notably exempted police departments. So it did nothing to do anything about police unions. So we were willing to go after this and get rid of bad teachers, but not to enact the same thing on police departments where a bad police officer is using a, a deadly weapon. Right. So one thing that you'd mentioned earlier, and and I saw something like to this extent on social media, and it kind of rang true with me. You mentioned that you've had some run-ins with the police before. So let me walk you through a hypothetical. Let's say you're driving somewhere in Door County, and you're going maybe 10, 15 over the speed limit, you know, maybe even not thinking about it, and a cop pulls you over. What are like the first three things that, that come to mind? What are you thinking about as you're pulling over to the curb miles? Probably trying to figure out an excuse that won't work <laughs> okay, for, good. to get out of what, the ticket. What excuse do I need is number one. Uh, what's number two? I mean, I mean, there's there's not much. Probably something like, oh, man, the speeding ticket is going to suck. Or yeah. something like, man, I'm going to be late to work. Now I have to deal with this cop. Those are the things that come top of mind to you, right? Yeah. At any point, did you ever think, like, this is how I'm going to die today? Uh, no. Right. So that that's that's the thing that is, has rung true for me. And, and just in how you were talking about being the maybe the whitest person on earth, or at least in the top 10 list, um, I'm, I'm similar in that way. There's not a lot that we have in common with people of color when it comes to police brutality and how we deal with it. But when you start to think of it under those terms, it, it makes a lot more sense why this is so real and why it's so important right now. Absolutely. I mean, whether it's, you know, like you look at the, um, I'm going to mispronounce the name. I think it's Philandro Castile um, from another Minneapolis uh, person who was killed a couple of years ago. Again, doing nothing wrong. Like that video was the one that I thought would ignite it. This is a guy who was pulled over, complying with the cops and ends up getting shot and killed. And right. I was like, all right, that's got to be like the turning point. We're going to finally address this on a, on a major way. And still didn't. And that's something I don't have to worry about for the, I mean, to some degree, you're always like, I still think when I'm pulled over, I'm thinking, all right, don't do anything stupid. Like you're, I'm going to comply. I might be pissed off. I've taunted cops before. <laughs> Not very well, but I like, that's what I mean though. Like, I don't, I don't worry about that. And, um, a lot of people have to worry about that. You know, my sister-in-law and, and her brothers and, um, it's, it's really disgusting to think of what we take for granted and that other people don't. And, and we should be able to take that for granted. That's the thing. Like, it's not, it shouldn't be a privilege. It sh that should be the way it is. Like, we should not be worried about that with police. But Right. Or even go back a couple years further to 2014 with Eric Garner, who was arrested for selling cigarettes without tax stamps and then was choked to death in much the same way. And there's not even databases of that information, too. There's not even like a, a public government-run database of people killed by police. So you can go, hey, this department has more killings and this one has less, what are the things that they do that's different that we could learn from it? They don't even collect that. They don't even have publicly available use of force policies universally around the country that you can go, here's what one po uh, police department trains and enforces and preaches versus another one. And here's how they work and don't work. Like simple things like that's how we'd evaluate baseball players. Like, oh, this, this right. team does X, Y, and Z and they score one run per game. And this team does uh, A, B, and C and they score eight runs a game. Oh, we can see the results. We can see the, the connections. We don't do that with with something uh, that affects people's lives. Right. 
Miles, before we wrap up, is there anything else that people need to know today? I'm sure that you and I will talk again this week with some more updates and some more interviews with some folks around the county. But is there anything else that people need to know today before we uh, wrap this up? Um, Maybe just like that our normal complaint that our Facebook feed looks like garbage sometimes. (laughs) uh, The comments on the article about the protest, a very simple protest, um, they go off the rails. Um, and even like some of the all lives matter versus black lives matter complaints. I mean, okay, let's take it to cancer. If I'm saying, and I'm fighting like hell to fight breast cancer, I'm not diminishing colon cancer by fighting to try and help people with breast cancer or cure breast cancer. I'm not saying I'm pro colon cancer. <laughs> it's okay. Yes. All cancers matter, but what I can do. And the problem right now is breast cancer for my friend. You know, like same thing here. Like people, when you say black lives matter, that's, and then somebody just counters like all lives matter. It's like, okay, yes, they do. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I'm glad that you used the cancer analogy because like how many times do you think anyone has ever been accosted for having a pink ribbon bumper sticker on their car and been (laughs) like, Hey, I saw that you say that you think that breast cancer is an important cause. Uh, but what about all the other types of cancer? Like nobody, nobody attacks other people for that, right? No. Nobody would attack you for wearing a Live Strong bracelet and say, "Well, what about all the other things?" Like they, it, it never comes up in this way. And one thing that I saw that I thought was a good analogy for this is like saying that all lives matter when somebody says Black Lives Matter is like when there's a house on fire in your neighborhood and you ask the firefighters to spray a little bit of water on all of the other houses in the neighborhood. It's like, yeah, okay, that that would be fine, but we really got to take care of the burning house first. Like, that's the one that's on fire right now. So let's focus on that, and then we can, you know... We're not saying that the other houses don't matter, but the one that's on fire right now is the one we're going to pay attention to. Yeah, it it seems so basic. It's I just hate when these things get sidetracked because then it it takes away the constructiveness and then people have to go back and forth with that. It's like, wait, let's just take it back. Like, let's talk about police brutality and and primarily young black men, although it's black women as well. Um, And let's address that. Let's really talk about that and figure out that problem. And let's get past all the noise that surrounds it. Let's let's um, quit talking about what's the right way to raise this issue. Let's quit talking about, well, don't all lives matter? Or, well, then you don't care about cops. And it's like, no, like, honestly, what you're doing is you're saying, I care more about cops because I want them to be better at their jobs. And I'm going to hold them to a higher standard because they are put in a position of great authority. And you know what? I want them to be better. Hey, if it takes us paying them more to make them better, to get better recruits and to weed out the bad cops and to train them more and get them more education, let's pay them more then. Like, that's good for cops. That's good for the best cops. Like, right. 100% for that. Totally agree. <laughs> I'm also 100% for, like, maybe figuring out a way to decriminalize and de-police things. Um, that might be a solution, too. There's a lot of ways you can go with it. But um, we can we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Like, one is not mutually exclusive of the other. Right. And and just for, if, if you're in support of one thing, doesn't mean that you are anti-everything else. That's not the way that it works in pretty much any other context. So why would it be the same here? Right. Um be nice to each other on social media, especially right now. People are really raw. So the more we can come together and collaborate on stuff, the better. Uh, I think that that's probably a good message to leave folks with today. Uh, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me about all of this. And I'm sure we will have more to talk about for the rest of the week. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be back. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.